There's a problem in our church that, by the grace of God, we want to approach today from Scripture. Oftentimes, uh, if you will study the Word of God, when God's people will find themselves in spiritual difficulty, somebody say spiritual difficulty, God would always raise up a prophet with a word from the Lord to speak to that particular need. I believe today that, that, that the word that God gave to those prophets years ago have their relevance for us now. And I, and I honestly believe that when we get in times of difficulty, there is no need to try to solve spiritual problems with human ingenuity. Right now at Glenville, we are facing some challenges. Well, they may not be considered a challenge to many of you, but from a spiritual eye, if one carefully assesses the situation, we will come to discover that there is a major spiritual problem, not just here in our church, but literally, really across the church as it is in these days. By fact, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 3 that the last day church would be a lukewarm church. Have you not read that before? Uh, what was the term that he used for that? He called them Laodicean. That was the description. Laodicea essentially means a judged people, but lukewarm is the issue. The issue is, while they're being judged, listen, while they are being judged, while judgment, Revelation 14 tells us that, that I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to do what? To preach unto them that dwell on the earth, the every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory. In other words, God is calling us in these last days back to true worship. Fear God. Give glory to him. Fear God. Give glory to him. Why? Because the hour of his judgment has come. In other words, the game time is over. I mean, I mean, I mean and really, Seventh-day Adventists, that's really what makes us unique from everybody else's message. Our message really is a wake-up message. Our message is really a, a message of urgency. Uh, in 1844, when the Adventist church was just coming its, into its inception, there was a group of people who believed, the Millerites, you've heard of them before, they actually believed that Jesus Christ was coming on October 22nd, 1844. Their calculations, they, they added things up, they studied the scriptures, and, and in their error, they thought that Christ was coming on October 22nd. Some of you have heard recently, in the news that there are some folk who believe that Jesus is coming next Sabbath. Now, just by way of uh, a clarification, that ain't us. It's not the Seventh-day Adventists, all right? Let's, let's just be clear. Uh, but, but, but there are some individuals that believe he's coming on the 21st next week of May. Now, most of us will, uh, the first thing that comes in your mind, you say, well, he's not coming next week. Well, when is he coming? He could come next week. There's no text in the Bible, Carl, we talked about that. There's no text in the Bible that says Jesus is coming next week. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour, not even the Son of Man knows the day of his appearing. But we're just to believe, and I know that's hard for some of you to process. How is it? I was trying to explain it to my children this week. They could not understand that Jesus does not know when he's coming. Uh, what the Bible is really saying is that the father is making the determination and will give orders to the son when he's to come back and get, get his children. And one thing I want to make clear to all of us is if you really believe in this Adventist message, you really believe, forget the Adventist message, if you believe in the Bible, the Bible says that it will be soon. Things are happening.
happening all around us, and it's about time to wake up. And that's why I love this church. That's why I love this word. That's why I love this message. Because our message is a message that calls people back to God before it's too late. It's a message of mercy. I mean, how many are thankful right now that God does not, the Bible says, that he does not just leave. He said he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we're living in a time of judgment. Uh, in other words, uh, Jesus Christ is checking carefully our lives to see if our lives line up with our profession, to see if our lives line up with, with his goodness to us. And let's be honest today. Let's just call it a spade a spade. The current condition of the church today is preparing themselves to be combustible. I'm trying to work on my language. Uh, in other words, according to your prophet, if Christ were to come today, most church people would be lost. This is in no, uh, please hear me today. Everything that comes from the pulpit today is, is born in a heart of love and, and, and is also born in an understanding of my own wretchedness. How many are beginning to come to uh, and understand that you are the worst sinner? Nobody else is. Yeah. But the treasurer and finance committee came to me and said, Pastor, in the months of May, June, and July, those are slow months for Glenville financially. I said, why? Do people lose jobs in May, June, and July? Um, do, uh, what happens? Well, well, people travel, Pastor. Okay, explain that to me. Um, they, uh, talk, talk, talk me through this. Well, during the summer months, people travel, and when they travel... Basically, we have a slow financial time. So I said, basically what you're saying is, is, is that in the, in the months of May, June, and July, we have a high percentage of unfaithfulness. Is that what you're saying? Well, Pastor, I didn't say it that way, but if that's the way you see it. So, so Pastor, I think we need to prepare for the worst. All right, keep talking. We need to cut the, the church budget 20%, especially as it relates to the people we're employing because, and this is good financial wisdom. How many know that when you're in difficult times, you got to cut spending? Come on, say amen. So, so pastor, we need, to, we need to be careful how we spend. I think we should cut. And we thought about it. We looked at the financial statement, and lo and behold, as, as was said, as we get into the, the summer months, uh, the income goes down. Now, 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 I think a little differently, so you guys have to pray for the pastor. To me, the problem right now is not financial. And I'm going to talk about this from a perspective that you probably have never heard before. And I actually don't like talking about it simply because I get this look. And I'm human. But let me ask you this. If one, two-thirds of our members According to the statistics, two-thirds of our members are unf are, are not, do not give tithe or offering. So let me ask you this. If two-thirds of the members of this church were committing adultery, what should I do? 
If two-thirds of the members of this church were holding up banks at gunpoint, what should be the response? If two-thirds of the members of this church just were straight breaking the Sabbath, what should the response be? And I know in our church sometimes we have certain sins that you just should not commit, but not just Glenville, according to recent statistics, the average church-going person in the United States of America, now watch this, the United States of America is, is wealthier than almost two-thirds of the world. The poorest person in the United States of America is more wealthy than, the, than, than some of the richest people in some of your other countries. I understand that the poverty level in the United States is like $16,000. On $16,000 a year, you don't even have to work in the United States. You can collect government assistance, and you can make $16,000 a year just not working. Travel to India someday. Travel to Africa someday and, and watch little children. I wanted to teach my kids a lesson the other day. They were complaining because they couldn't get ice cream. So I sat them down at the computer and I showed them some images of children who were suffering from starvation. And I said, you're going to sit here and complain that you can't have ice cream today when there are children all over this world. The majority, almost, there are about 2,500 children, 26,000 children that, that die every day because they have nothing to eat. Not, they don't have their favorite meal. They have nothing to eat. And it amazes me when the gospel goes to these countries, they receive it. In, the, in mass, I'm talking about thousands. United States, the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the United States is not even a million members. And we've been here 150 years. If you go to Latin America and to Africa and to other places like that, uh, and, and to the Caribbean, they have, there are at least 15 million of them. And they don't have iPods, they don't have nice cars, they don't have air condition, they don't have nice sanctuaries, they don't have screens, they don't have hardly anything, but when they get Jesus. So, I, you know, I, I just have to say this. I would be, I would be derelict of duty if I, if I just stood here and watched us Continue this cycle of unfaithfulness to God without declaring a word from the Lord. What kind of church are we when we prepare for sin? Let's take 20% from the small budget we already have. And let's just... Let's just, let's just prepare because you know we're going to be unfaithful. And I said to them, and we came together in prayer, and God led us today to say, no, 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 no. We will not go another year in this church not honoring God. And think that it's just okay. If it were any other sin, there would be outrage. If our whole choir decided to become homosexual, there would be outrage. If people came in here with jewelry on, some of us would be outraged. But when there is just lack in the body of Christ and there is spiritual stinginess to the things of God, that, 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 that we don't even bring it up. 
Let me tell you why I'm here today. I read this, Spirit of Prophecy. Your girl Ellen says, if pastors fail to set before the church the importance of returning to God his own, if they do not see to it that the officers under them are faithful and that the tithe is brought in, they are in peril. Y'all didn't read that. See, it don't bother you like it bothers me. Me, Shanae, Camden, and Taylor, if I, if, I don't, if I don't speak against this unrighteousness, then myself and my family are in peril. You all have to believe the problem. I believe in her. She says, uh, they are neglecting, talking about preachers, they are neglecting a matter which involves a blessing or a curse to the church. So I want to ask a question. If two-thirds of us are not involved in ministry, if two-thirds of us are not giving unto the Lord that which belongs to him in the appropriate way. Can we say here today, Gabriel, that we're not under a curse? One of the things I found out, especially when I lived in sin, is sometimes you can stay in sin so long that it doesn't even seem like it's that bad anymore. You know what I'm saying? So, so that you start enjoying sin and you think sin is actually blessing when you're actually living under a curse and you don't even realize it. But I'm telling you something, when you begin to walk into faithfulness, when you begin to walk into commitment to God, you'll never ever want to turn back again to the old way of life. There is such, I mean, it is such a blessing to walk by faith and not by sight. And one of the things I believe God showed me is because I, I got to say this, because there's some, some poor folk in here, like the pastor, who would not, hear me now, you would not even hear this word from me today. If I came up in here and my wife was a dentist making six figures a year and I was driving around in brand new BMW, driving around in nice new cars and not living with my father in a 4,000 square foot house. You wouldn't even hear me because you're saying, how can he talk to me about giving when he's living so nice? He doesn't, he doesn't know what I'm going through. But God said, listen, when I send you all to Cleveland this year, I'm sending you with nothing. You're not going to be able to sell your house. Your wife's not going to get a job for 18 months. You're going to be struggling every week, living from check to check. He said, because they ain't going to hear you if they don't know that you're in this with them. So let me just cut to the chase. Look, hey, you ain't talking. Listen. Look, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Where, where you, let me see this jacket right here. I wore this suit last week. I just switched the pants. I wore this shirt uh, three weeks ago. Just cleaned it. Got a bunch of ties, so I mixed things up. Listen, we are not, we are not rolling. Uh oh, the BMW out there? I paid $8,000 cash for it when I had money. It's a 2002. I don't believe in buying new cars. And where am I living? With my daddy. So I'm just, I mean, feel me for a minute. I ain't, I'm not coming from a place where I got it. I'm not coming from a place where we got everything we need. I, I'm not coming from that place. I'm coming from a place right now where I'm trying to help kids get their tuition paid at Rhema and I'm struggling to pay mine. That's where I'm coming from today. So let's just be clear on this today. Well, you're a pastor. You make so many dollars. Well, I, 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 excuse me. I want, I'm going to tell you right now how much I make. I make about $45,000 a year. 
And guess what? I, uh, you know, a bunch of that money I'm, I spent, I'm spending on a dumb car payment that I got when I was dumb. A lot of that other money I'm spending on uh, student loans. Me and my wife have about uh, $160,000 worth of student loans. Yeah, I just want you to know that I'm not, you got to know this today. I'm, Bob, I'm not, you, I'm not talking from a place of wealth. Yeah, my wife's a dentist, but guess what? She's a brand new dentist, and most people don't realize that dentists don't make money until they're 10 years in. And they got to have their own practice. But when you're the wife of a preacher, guess what? Uh, having your own practice is not very likely because guess what? You got to move all the time. So I'm, I just, I mean, some of y'all not going to receive this, but I've just got to let you know that where I stand right now is a place of faith. That where I stand right now is a place of trusting God. Where I stand right now, I'm not, I'm not talking to you. With, with some extra savings in an offshore account that I got somewhere in the Cayman Islands. I'm talking to you about one bank account, Chase. How much do I have in there right now? The check that just got deposited yesterday. And I thank God that it got deposited yesterday because if it didn't... So, so when, when Ellen White says, she says... That they are, talking about me, the pastor is neglecting a matter which involves a blessing or a curse to the church. I declare today, Glenville is under a curse. No, 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 no. This is, this is, not, this is not hyperbole. This is not the pastor just trying to do shock value. Tell me! We're not under a curse when, when most of us are not being faithful. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your commitment to the cause of Christ. And hear this now, brothers and sisters. There's a difference for those, for that one third of us who are giving something. Know this. There's a difference between faithfulness and consistency. Just because by your name, and I look at the records, when, when I look by your name and there's money here and money that month and money, that does not show whether you've been faithful. That only shows me that you've been consistent. See, God knows your heart. And God expects you to give in proportion to how he's blessed you. So I'm going to ask again, how many in here are faithful? She says they should be relieved of their responsibility. Those who go forth as ministers have a solemn responsibility devolving upon them, which is strangely neglected, and I had to repent of God. There was a great need of instruction concerning obligations and duties to God, especially in regard to paying an honest tithe. So we got some social taboos. What's a social taboo? Homosexuality. What's a social taboo? Addiction. What's a social taboo? Uh, uh, come on, talk to me. Incest. What's, come on, give me some more social taboos. Gambling. Not in Las Vegas, though. <laughs> and not in Cleveland, either. Well, I understand we're not getting the, uh, the thing now. Praise the Lord. All right, what else? What's some social... Not what? Not eating meat. Only in the Adventist church. What's some social taboos? Huh? Neglecting your children, stealing, stuff like that. All right, so we got social taboos in the church. We got them. Certain things we just say, that's wrong. Should not do that. That's wrong. Uh-oh, a social taboo. Uh, you have to go through hell to get drums in a church. 
too loud, too loud in here. Oh, my goodness. Why do we not lose it when our church is in lack? How come nobody is mourning between the porch and the altar? Write me some letters. Send me some emails when you feel like we are not, when the church of God is not rightly representing the kingdom of God. One particular gentleman went to uh, visit an Adventist church. When he walked inside the church, he was impressed to see the nice cars that people were driving, the beautiful hats they were wearing, the nice tailored suits. I mean, to be honest, we dress, we look really good on Sabbath, y'all. I don't know how we look uh, the other days of week, but we, you know, we know how... We know how to come with it on Sabbath. And the guy was just impressed by what he saw. And then he looked in the bulletin and saw that the church was in the red in their budget. He was like, yo, what's up with this? He was like, how is it that they can spend so much on themselves, but yet when it comes to the things of God, the the social norm in the Adventist church is to self-aggrandize. Buy a flat screen TV and don't even, and, and listen, don't even feel guilty that you have given absolutely nothing to tithe and offering. Drive a nice car, go shopping every time you feel the itch and you feel no sense of responsibility to all the lost people that are dying all around us. Some, some money has got to come into the body of Christ to reach those folks. And then get mad when somebody starts talking about giving. They start talking about time. Get, get offended by that because they got no right talking about my private personal stuff. See, we look back on slave owning as churchgoers of, of churchgoers 150 years ago. Do you realize that slavery started with Christians? Y'all, y'all realize that? Slavery was started in the church. And let me me explain something to you. They sincerely believed that they were doing the right thing. They they, they were not hypocrites as such that we believe, in other words, but they thought really that that people of color were less than. I I know what I'm talking about because I live down south and some people feel like they're doing the will of God not to associate or not to like people that they consider less than because of the color of their skin. Now, 150 years ago, that was the big sin in the church. How could they have treated their fellow human beings that way? Now, I wonder if followers of Christ 150 years from now will look back at Christianity right now and what would they say is the sin of our age? It's got to be materialism. And and listen, this is not to offend anybody. There's nothing wrong with looking nice in church. But isn't it a little backwards when we say to people, you must dress nice, you must bring your best before the Lord. But then when we get there, we don't even give our best to the people who are hurting in this community. God would much rather us come in here with jeans and dungarees and a T-shirt when we put our money not on our bodies, not on our rims, not on our houses, but when we put our money into the kingdom. Nobody's talking to me in here. When we put our money into the kingdom of God because we're just sold out to see people get saved. I, 150 years from now, people are going to be like, how could, they, how could they spend so much money on stuff they could not afford, but yet they cry they cannot afford to give, or they can't even give their time to the cause of Christ? How could they? 
And I declare today that materialism and selfishness and robbing God in the church is just as bad as slavery. And God is repulsed by it just like he was repulsed by slavery. Look at what the Bible. the Bible says. Read with me, everybody. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to do what? This is about the rich young ruler. You know that, right? He says, uh, why do you call me good, Jesus? Answered, no one together is good except who? How many know that to be true? He says, but you know the commandments. Come on now. You shall not what? You shall not what? You shall not what? You shall not do what? You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. In verse 20, teacher, he said, hold on, slow down, man. He said, what did he say, y'all? He says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Oh, thank God for that. In other words, he had compassion on him because this brother didn't realize how lost he was. And I believe that in God's church right now, there was a serious blind spot to a, a spirit of giving and missionary service that God requires and expects of us in order to further the kingdom of God because we actually believe that Jesus could come any day. Amen. Teacher, he declared all these, he said, I kept that since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. Uh-oh. Oof. He said, go do what, everybody? And do what? And woo! Put yourself in this guy's shoes. Oh, he says, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face did what? He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich. You got to know the Greek word for rich there simply means to have. In the Bible, to be poor means to have nothing. The truth, let me just clear this up. In the United States of America, there are not very many really poor people. All of us up in here are rich. Rich on truth, rich on information, rich on our Sabbath school lessons, rich on Bible studies, rich in history. And God is saying, but to whom much is given, much is required. And many of us are, are rich in blessings. Any blessed folk in here today where God has made ways for you, God has opened up doors for you. God, God has opened up doors for you. God has opened up doors for you. Just this week, just this week, just this week, I told my wife, I said, we need to increase our giving. We, we got to increase our giving. We can't just talk this thing. We, we got to take one more step in faith. We, got, we can do it. We can do it. Let's take one more step in faith. Two days later, didn't know how I was going to, could not afford to give more. But I don't give what I can afford. I give what God is worthy of. Two days later, I got, and I showed the folks in board meeting, I got a, a, invo a receipt in the mail that looked like an invoice. Come on, say amen, somebody. If I wasn't careful, I would not have opened it. Holy Spirit said, open that mail. $1,400 refund coming from Andrews University. Hallelujah. 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 But most of us are not used to living by faith. We're used to living to do what pleases us. I'm going to show you a statement that's going to blow your mind in a minute. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard, come on, y'all, how, come on, y'all, how hard, come on, y'all, how hard it is 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, who then can be saved? Dude, this dude was doing it all the right way. But see, that's the thing about God. God sees, see, he was consistent, but he was not faithful. Hear this today. Some of us are consistent. You'll find us at service. Some of us are consistent. You'll, you'll, you'll see that we've been giving, uh, paying our tithe. We're consistent. Uh, we, we do enough to get by. But God is saying, see, Elder Cox said it in, in Borman. He said, most of us in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we do our duty. But we don't give God worship. And there's a difference between giving duty and giving worship. Duty does just enough to get by. But worship says, I'm going to give my life. Worship says, I'm going to give my all. Worship says, I'll give my time. Worship says, I'll give my talent. Worship says, I give my treasure. Worship says, I give my treasure. Oh, I can't hear you now. Well, we, we love to praise him. We love to sing. We love to get the CDs. We love to buy the, the DVDs. We love the books. We love the lessons. But God says, I not only want you to love what you can do with your hands. I not only want you to love what you can say with your mouth. But you got to know that I told you. Bring unto me an offering. And I did not tell you to give what you can afford. I said, give what's based on faith. If you give what you can afford, that's not based on faith. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But not with God, for all things are possible. Then Peter spoke up. He said, man, we left everything to follow you. We don't got nothing. Well, he said, truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, watch this now. No one, now, now this, is the, this is the piece that many of us do not get. No one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother. By the way, just to inform you, don't have time to go into it today. But when you become a Christian, when you when you talk in terms of family, you talk now in terms of the church. Y'all remember when those folk came up and said, yo, Jesus, your mom and dad out there waiting on you. And he's like, uh, my mother and father are those that believe. He said, my, my family members are those that are a part of this Christian family. Oh, come on in here, somebody. <laughs> he said, truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail. Woo, now this is the good part. When we abandon our way of life for the kingdom of God, he says, I won't fail to receive, give you a hundred times. As much in this present age. He, now he ain't talking about heaven. He's not talking about when you walk on streets of gold. Some of y'all, if God would allow you to go to heaven right now with the streets of gold, some of y'all be digging up stuff. <laughs> Trying to take stuff just because you ain't used to giving. You ain't, you're not used to uh, sharing. Some of y'all, well, this is good stuff. Why the Lord put this out here? <laughs> it's just like that church I, I was pastoring in. And at potluck time, they would always serve the, the okay food first, and they'd leave all the good food last so they could take it home. I know that didn't happen here. Well, look at verse 31. But many who are first will be what, everybody? And the last will be what? The last will be first. Y'all seen that TV show called Hoarders? Have y'all seen that? I mean, that thing is crazy, man. I mean, there are people who actually have an addiction to, to like hoarding. I mean, the hoarding up stuff. I mean, sometimes you'll see some, I mean, I mean, some of it is so disgusting. 
I mean, the stuff that people live in just because they can't get rid of stuff. They've gotten into a place in life where they, o- where they only can acquire. They just acquire and acquire and acquire. Hey, look, I really believe that God sees us as Glenville as spiritual hoarders. Right now in this church, now I'm just going to say it like this. For those that are consistent, because I ain't going to tell you you're faithful. I don't know that. That's between you and God. But if you're consistent, some of us kind of take the attitude, well, pastor, the way we can solve this problem is just tell the two-thirds of the folk who are not doing anything to step up. Wrong attitude. Wrong You know what that, you just lost my sermon I preached two weeks ago where you're the worst sinner. When you start thinking like that, that means they're the problem, I'm not. And you know what God says? There's more you can do. There's never a place you get to in your spiritual life where you can't do more. But we're hoarding. We're hoarding truth. We're hoarding blessings. We're hoarding opportunities. And guess what? We feel like, well, it's not that bad. Guess what? It is that bad. And, and, and look, I'm not saying this to be arrogant, but if God, if it took God to bring me here to say this that offends you, I'm a, Glenville is not all that. I love y'all to death. I love you. I love you. That's why I'm telling you that. Because we got to stop thinking that this is where it all began. Well, we're a poor church. No, y'all not. Just the one third of people who are being consistent uh, are worth five million dollars. Well, how do you say that, Pastor? Because the tithe last year was $500,000. What's $500,000 10% of? $5 million. And most of us who call ourselves consistent ain't really been faithful. Or oh, there's a possibility that we actually might be a $15 million church. But we're so caught up on what we're doing, and we feel like God should appreciate the stuff we're bringing to him. The American dream. How many of you here from Alabama? Got roots in Alabama. Mississippi. Yeah, I've been talking to y'all. The South. You know what? Why did they come from down south up to Cleveland? Why? Work. Work. Look, most of them, come on, talk to me, y'all. They did not have education. And they never got it. But they sacrificed and worked so hard so that you could have it. And, and, And our generation... My generation and even the generations preceding have much more than our parents did. Oh, but but can I go somewhere now? But my grandmother raised eight children. All eight of them went to Christian school. She tithed 10% of her income and double tithed on that. I don't know how she did it as a nurse's assistant and cleaning white folks' homes. I don't know how she did it. But there's something different about that group that's not the same with us. They actually believed that the Lord was coming. They actually believed that the church was everything. But because of our pain that we experience from their hand, many of us have, have gone away from that which got us where we are. The American dream. What did they get? Now they got houses that are foreclosed. I was talking to somebody yesterday, should I buy a house? No. Look, and for all you finance people out there, I'm sorry, you do your job. 
The economy's not getting better. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But look, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a speculator. I'm a preacher. And I got to tell you what the Bible says. Oh, you don't want to know something? It's about to get worse. Oh, yeah. Things are not going to get better. But, 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 but remember now, God will take care of his people. See, if you're afraid, it's because you've learned to live by what you can see instead of learning to live by what you can't see. And, and I'm going to tell you now, I don't, I'm, I'm done with the American dream. Done. Done with it. I'm done with trying to get. I told you the first thing I did when I got out of school, I went out and bought a brand new BMW. Got a house right now that I can't sell. Got stuff in the garage I don't use anymore that I just have to have. Why are you not hearing me today? Where are the shouts in Zion? If I were to talk about our history, if I were to talk about who pastored here, I feel like I get a little bit more help in here today. But I've come to tell you we're not all that. In the eyes of God, he looks down at us and says, look at how I've blessed them. Look at how I've made ways for them. Look at how I've kept them. Look at how I've provided for them. Look at the food on their table. Look at the clothes on their back. Look at the protection I've provided for their children. Look at how I've, I've caused them to hold on when they wanted to give up. And then they got the nerve to come up in here and bring me this. And they make it official. Pastor, call a meeting. Why? We need to take a vote that we prepare for sin. No! We will go bankrupt before we prepare for unfaithfulness. But what we will do is we will get on our faces. What we will do is we will crawl on our knees and we will face our maker and we will say to him, forgive me of my sins. Create within me a clean heart, oh God. Renew the right. God, I'm coming back to you today. Luke 21 tells us what's going to happen in these last days. He says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of what, everybody? That the day will close on you suddenly like a trap. In other words, like Henry Wright says, he says, he says people are going to go to hell paying the bills. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a bold statement right here. That's not that bold. It's going to be bold to you. Yeah, you miss your mortgage payment before you miss giving God what's his. Yes, you do. You miss, your, you, you miss your car payment before you take God's money and put it on some car that belongs to some man that you do not know that's charging you 10% APR. You don't give to him first. You, the Bible says. Therefore, I tell you, oh, how many, how many here worried about some stuff? Come on, be honest in here. How many have faith? This is Cleveland, Ohio. This is a swing state. The, all the politicians are coming.
coming here because they know they can use us because it's issue of the economy, because things are tough here. The old Rust Bowl effect, the industry has gone down. We have not caught up with technology, corruption in government. But I got some news for you today. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says if you lost your job, don't worry. The Bible says if you lost your 401k, don't worry. The Bible says you're concerned that your Social Security is not as much as you expected, don't worry. The Bible says you're on a fixed income, don't worry. The Bible says that if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're debating about whether you're going to keep your house or short sale it like we are, he says don't worry. God says if your house is in foreclosure, don't worry. God says if you're living with somebody else because you don't have the money to afford what you I don't worry he says therefore somebody shout therefore I tell you do not worry about your life and God said there it is Edmonds Glenville is a worrying church what he say he says he says don't no no that only makes that's not logical Michelle it's not logical not to worry about your life huh does that make sense? If I told you I'm going to kill you tomorrow, is it logical to say I ain't worried about it? <laughs> or if, the, if you know you ain't paid no, made no payments on your car, you know the repo man coming. You just don't know when he's coming, so you start parking in other people's driveways and start putting your car. Come on in here, somebody. You're telling me not to worry? When you are in right, somebody say right. When you're in right relationship with God, which means you obey him meticulously. There's no worries. Why? What are you saying? I love this text. He says, don't even worry about what you eat or you drink or about your body or what you wear. Mm. You know, I was telling Tammy in the office, I said, Tammy, we're going to have a jeans Sabbath. She said, Pastor, don't do that. <laughs> she said, well, I'm going to kill you. You know you got to come up in here with, with your best. I said, no, 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 I'm thinking my mind. We're not even faithful in tithing and offering, but we're coming in here with real nice clothes on. Is that faithfulness? No. Or is God going to get mad if we come in here dressed to work? <laughs> hey, look, because if you're going up in these hoods with these nice suits on and these nice hats, they ain't hearing you. They're going to think you're Jehovah's Witnesses, first of all. I don't know why the Jehovah's Witness would not just say, let's change our outfit, let's dress down a little bit, then people won't know that we're Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't care. I mean, I got to give it to them. They're just like, listen, we believe so much in what we believe, even though we don't believe it, we're going to go out here and do something about it. But the least we can do as a church is we know he's coming soon. The Bible says, he says in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, being confident of this very thing, he that shall come will come will not tarry. Some of us addicted to shopping, addicted to stuff. I know I'm addicted to going to restaurants. Man, I was it. I'm telling you, I spent my, my, if my wife don't hold me down, I will spend straight $500 a month going out to eat. It don't got nothing to do with my wife's culinary expertise. I'm just, I mean, I grew up in D.C. There was restaurants everywhere. I've been around a little bit, so I like to try stuff. And if I'm not careful, some of us talking about we can't give no more. And you got cable. Hold on. You got cable TV, and you say you can't afford to give no more, you a lie. You got satellite, and you say, it's tough for me now. We'll, we'll cut the cable off. Sell the television. Sell 
sell your car that you don't need before you tell God you can't do anymore. That's fanatical, Pastor. Yes, it is. And people who are zealous like that are the kind of people that win souls for Christ. People that are hungry like that are the kind of people that win the world to Christ. People that are desperate like that are the kind of people that get the attention of heaven. And I don't know about you, I'm tired of being a mundane American uh, 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 buffy that, that's middle class, that just comes to church and just praises God, that does nothing for nobody, that doesn't help any causes. There are kids dying all over the world and I don't do anything about it I'm tired of this me and my wife declared the other day we will not raise bougie kids we said we gotta we gotta do something different than I said you have to be intentional about it because the way we're living our lives right now they get everything and not because they're spoiled just because we got more than most people out there we said, we got to break this cycle. At least one night of the week, we got to go do some work for God. We got to take these kids up out of this house where they're complaining that they couldn't watch their television show, where they're complaining because they couldn't eat what they wanted to eat, and we need to put them in the faces of some of these children at Rainbow Hospital. We need to put them on the corner of some of these kids that run around five and seven years old till one and two in the morning because their parents are out getting high. They're strung out on crack. How can we sit in here and hoard? Verse 30, he says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? By the way, I, I, the reason why I cut all that stuff out of service day because I plan on preaching long. Yeah. I'm not done. So, 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 so do not worry. Somebody say, do not worry. Encourage yourself, say, do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father how many need to hear that right now how many need to know that your God has not forgotten about you that he sees your situation that even though you feel like you're at the breaking point wake yourself up and tell, remind yourself he will never leave you nor forsake you Wait, just, what's the worst thing that can happen? They can take your car, but they cannot take your life. They can take your house, but they cannot take your joy. But see, the thing to us that's more important is life, than life and joy is our stuff, our status. But what does he say? Now, this is, this is, this is, this is revolutionary. Listen, let me tell you something, Mark. Let me tell you a few things about money. Don't love it but learn how to work it. Now, now, let me tell you something here. All of you kids in here, don't be fools like all of us were. Do not borrow for anything. Can I tell you how to stay out of debt, Mark? Make good grades in school. You won't have to borrow student loans. Be a hard worker, and notice this, and when God begins to increase your finances, don't see it as an opportunity to increase your standard of living. But every financial blessing you get, see it as an opportunity to increase the kingdom of God. Whoa, 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 whoa. When you get a bonus or a raise, you, the first thought that comes in your mind is the church. 
Edmonds, the scripture says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And I'll see, everything we've been given is a test. These shoes, and this, I ain't gonna lie, the shoes I got on my feet, I don't even want to tell you how much I paid for them. But I ain't gonna do that again. But God said, I'm testing you. 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 I'm, te- I'm trying to see if you can handle the little bit I got. Because at the end of the day, God wants to use us as a conduit. Somebody say a conduit. God is saying, how many, where are some folk that I can send my blessings through, not to? And see, most of us just want the blessings to come to, but we have no intention for them to go through. See, the only thing that comes through is our leftovers. If I invited you to my home, and don't get me wrong, how many like love leftovers? Some, sometimes leftovers can, can be all right. Uh, come on and hear somebody. Sometimes the best meals is when you go in and you fix up them leftovers. Come on in and hear somebody. But can I remind you of something? If you are planning a meal for Barack Obama, and Barack Obama says, I'm coming to your house, stuff you didn't, didn't know was dirty, you're going to be looking for. You're going to clean out the leftovers in the refrigerator and throw them away. And you're going to put before it. Somebody say, I won't do that for Obama. You a lie. <laughs> you will bring out your best. China, come on and hear somebody. You're going to lay it out for him. And the question today, y'all know where I'm going with this. Do you have that same mindset when it comes to the kingdom of God? It is wrong to put more into your own standard of living than it is to put into the kingdom of God. It's sin. If you're living better than the house of God, there are two things wrong with that. First of all, you got the wrong perspective. Second of all, you need to give more for the kingdom of God. This house, that better living center over there. Somebody take some initiative. We don't need to call a meeting. Somebody take some initiative and say, we need to pull that greenery off the, off the panels. We need to paint the building. But don't you go back to your house and put another addition on there and paint another room. Oh, y'all don't want to hear me in here. Listen, I'm telling you, this is radical stuff. He says, he says, seek first. Amen. When you get blessed, the first thing you ought to seek is the kingdom. Satan has a plan for your money. Oh, I'm sorry, God's money. It amazes me, folk that don't like what's going on in church. Now, y'all better hear this, because there's some folk going to hell on this point right here. You stop giving. You know why? Because I don't like what they're doing. Well, the only way you can come to that conclusion is if you think the money is yours. God's not so much concerned what you do with the 10%. He's really watching to see what you do with the 90. I ain't paying. I ain't returning my, paying my money to that church when they're doing this, that, and the other. It ain't yours. Oh, the woman with the two mites, y'all remember her? Can I refresh your memory to what church she gave everything she had to? She gave it to a church that was killing God. Uh, no, no, no. You didn't hear what I said. She gave her money to a church that was visibly trying to kill Jesus. You can't get no more corrupt than that. That's because the issue is not what, what they're doing with the money. The issue is your heart. 
I'm going to say that again. The issue, you, I don't care what you, you may not like the pastor, I don't care, but you, the issue is not that. The issue is, are you obeying the word of God? Here goes the bombshell right here, and I'm going to close it. Ooh. Ellen White, so again, if you do not believe in her, you would, I mean, it's going to be hard to accept that which is being said. Every believer, now watch this. I'm going to sit down on this one. We, list, we, we read this statement in the board meeting. I just want to, I want to prepare you guys for a bombshell. You're going you're to have to do something with this statement. You're going to have to. This is a commentary of Matthew 6.33, which says, seek what, everybody? First. Now, I, can I just ask you a question? I don't really think like that. I'm just to be honest. Where, I, where When I'm blessed, the first thing I'm thinking about is the work of God, the church. Watch this. Every believer should be wholehearted in his attachment to the church. Now, some of us talk real negative about the church. And church, church. Listen, the church is the body of Christ. And as jacked up as it is, God expects you to take care of this woman like it's your wife, brothers. Now, now, now watch this. Every believer should be wholehearted in his what? Not to Sabbath worship services. It's... I'm sorry, y'all. I mean, when I get under conviction, it's prosperity, not it's maintenance. No. Hello? It's prosperity should be his first interest. And unless he feels under sacred obligations to make his connection with the church a benefit to it in preference to himself, it, the church, can do far better without him. Now, that's why I tell people, look, somebody, somebody could say, you know, like I've had church people say, I'm holding my money back. I ain't giving my money. I don't agree that with the structure of the conference stuff. And I don't, I, 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 okay, go to hell if you want to. Because I got a statement on that too. You guys are not reading. If you're making those declarations, be careful. You're not reading. Pull out councils on stewardship and study. It's not your money. It belongs to him. By the way, the Bible says, Elder Rudd, that he gives you the power to get wealth. (laughs) If God wanted to, he could wipe you out right now where you wouldn't have nothing. Now watch this. The church can do far better without a person Somebody can come and give a million dollars right now. But if they don't give it with the right spirit and the right heart, two dollars that's given in faith will go further than that. Because it's not financial, it's spiritual. It is in the power, somebody say power. It is in the power of all to do something for the cause of God. There are those who spend a large amount for needless luxuries. They gratify their appetites, but feel it a great tax to contribute means to sustain the church. Oh, 
Here they come again. Here go the pastor again talking about money. He must need, to, he must need some stuff. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what I need. I need to be a part of a church that's not deciding we're going to hell. They are all willing to receive all, bit, all the benefit of its privileges. Turn the air up, pastor. <laughs> hey, look, let me, let me just point something out here. Let me just point something out. You remember last year when our boiler, that was this year, when the bo- was it this year? When the, when the boiler went out? Last year? I made two appeals. You know how much money came in? $20,000. You know why? Man, I ain't going to be cold up in here. <laughs> it's, it's much like Jonah. Jonah got mad when God took that plant that was covering him away from him. See, listen, we give selfishly. The truth is, there should never have to be an appeal from the front to give. We should be like the children of Israel where Moses says, don't bring anymore. Slow down. But see, the motivation of our giving is not because the church needs stuff. Now, get, now, now follow me now. When I, when I give, and by the way, I'm, I'm starting to learn how to inconvenience myself. Because there's a text of scripture, which I'm not going to have time to get to today. But the Bible says in Deuteronomy 16 and verse 17, it says, you shall not come before the Lord empty handed. Now, I have, been in, I have been in error in that regard, Sister Jones. Let me tell you why. Because I'll do online giving. Nothing wrong with online giving. But you know what? I would come to church and I would have nothing in my hand. You know what? I have begun to forget that giving is an act of worship. Now, there's too many of us in here, but I wish that the elders, and we're going to do it today, when we give our tithe and offering, I wish that the elders would just, and the deacons would just stand here and that we would bring our offering. Because see, in the word of God, when it came to worship, they would bring an offering to the Lord. They wouldn't just bring their praise, but you had to bring the choices, you had to bring the choice uh, uh, animal or whatever out of your house. And you had to bring it to the Lord because you're reminding yourself it's not mine. You're reminding yourself every good and perfect gift comes from God. You're reminding yourself the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You're reminding yourself my blessing is not in my paycheck, but my blessing is in my relationship. You're reminding yourself that God is good all the time. If I'm broke, he's good. If I got no money, he's good. If I'm struggling, he's good. If credit collectors are after me, he's good. If it looks like no job is coming, I will obey the Lord because it's worship. How many of us want to lift hands? But we don't want to put our hands in our pockets. It says they are willing to receive all the benefit of its privileges but prefer to leave others to pay the bills. Those who really feel a deep interest in the advancement of the cause will not hesitate woo, to invest money in the enterprise, the church, whenever and wherever it is. Those, read this everybody, those who really feel a deep interest in the investment of the cause, come on now, will not hesitate to invest money in the enterprise whenever and wherever it is needed. We won't even think about it. We just say he's too good for me to hold back. Look at this. In the day of Malachi, these are my last two scriptures. In the day of Malachi, you know Malachi is the scripture where we read about tithe and offering, right? Most of you know it by heart. Um, in the day of Malachi, 
God's people were in exile. Somebody say exile. exile. You know, why were they in exile? Can somebody talk to me? Why were they in exile? Why did God put his people in exile for 40 years? Huh? Disobedience, Disobedience particularly with idolatry. They had amassed so much money and so much wealth that they started worshiping false gods. Now watch this. When they went into exile, God stripped them of everything. But over time, they started getting wealthy in exile. And so God says that when God finally released them to go back home, many of them would not even go back because they had made so much money in exile. So watch this. When, when they did get back, they amassed their own stuff. Watch what happened. The Bible says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. <laughs> See, like we should cut our money because, you know, we're going to be unfaithful. And then the word of the Lord came through Pastor Edmund saying, <laughs> look, we don't need to cut our money. We need to increase our money tenfold. Spending too much money, we ain't spending enough. Uh, Y'all paying them musicians. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just going to go here. I told myself I wasn't. Look, I'm not saying that there are not times when we should look at our expenditures. So just know I said that. But the musicians in our church are full-time musicians. They don't got no other job. So I'm wishing to sentimentalize this. But there are people who depend on the faithfulness of God to eat. The only difference between them and me is when y'all send your tithe, it goes to the conference and they send me a check. But if all of a sudden, which, which is soon happening, there are conferences cutting, cutting their employees left and right, like Ohio Conference. Because God's people, are, I don't know what God's people are doing. So brothers and sisters, come on now. I mean, really, it's, and listen, if we cut all the music tomorrow, would that solve our problem? Our problem is not what we're spending it on. Our problem is we're not spending enough. We're not giving enough towards the cause of Christ. How can we say we are not under a curse? Look, look, verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is a time for you yourselves to be living. Notice what he said. This, he says, is it a time for you to be living in your paneled houses? In other words, they have built mansions and stuff. While this house remains in ruin? He says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He says, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. Come on, come on, somebody in here. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in purses with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, give careful thought to your what, everybody? He says, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own houses. I'm sorry, I don't agree. The problem is not what we're doing with the money. 
The problem is, is there's not enough in his storehouse. We'll end with this one. I, the Lord, do not change. You know, that's the first thing the Lord says before he talks of tithe and offering. He says, I don't change. Somebody's hand should have been lifted just right there. In other words, he says, because I'm so merciful and I don't change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Anybody ever just get tickled on the mercy of God? Mike, did you just hear that, man? The Lord says, you better be glad I'm merciful and that I don't ever change in that regard. Because if I did, looking at your heart and your unfaithfulness, I should have killed you. He says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Now notice what he says. Now he's talking about tithe and offering, right? But notice the first thing that comes out of his mouth. He says, what, everybody? Return what? Also, oh, look, when we are, hear me, hear me, hear me. This is why the pastor has to talk about this today. Because if I don't, the prophet says that I, my family will be in peril. Because, Wilbur Rudd, he says, return to me. Watch this now. Because when we are not faithful to God in our giving, we have left him. He said, this is personal. This is not about the money. This is not about the budget. This is not about the building. This is not about the bills. He says, at the end, he says, you have left me. Return to me. How many thank him that he has not changed? Woo! And so they said, how, how, how shall we return? And then he says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you have robbed me. One preacher said, we're robbing God at 12 o'clock high noon. He said, we only got a sense to, 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 to rob him at night. In his face, we're taking our stuff and keeping them, keeping them lights on and keeping that cable on. Keeping that gas in the car. You better run out of gas first. Well, how am I going to get to work? How are you going to have a job if it ain't for God? But see, some, we are so used to not living by faith that we have no sense of training for expectation for when God moves. He says, yet you robbed me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and... I'm a tither, I'm a tither, I'm a tither, I'm a tither. Are you an offeringer? Because the robbery does not just happen with tithe, it happens with offering. I don't have time to teach it today. You know what? What's, uh, oh, no, don't got time. I don't have time to teach it today, but I need to tell you something. Tithe is based on obedience. Amen. You don't show gratitude with tithe. You know why? Because you can't show gratitude with something that God says return to him. Amen. It's not like, I'm so generous. Why? Look at my statement. Look at all that tithe I gave last year. You didn't give jack. Returned it. Now then God says, I'll loan you 90%. The offering is where we really show our worship. Yeah. Thus, the offering should be greater than the tithe. Right. 
And if you're not there yet, you got to learn this principle. you got to learn how to grow your giving. Your giving shouldn't, I have folk all the time, I give 10 plus 10. But can you afford to do that? Yeah. But guess what? You're not faithful. Because it's, if, it's, if it's a sacrifice, it should hurt. Because you're robbing me. Tim, he said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That there, 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 there may be what, what everybody. And then I like what the Lord says. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see. <laughs> Yo, let me tell y'all why I'm getting excited. Because I'm broke as a joke right now. Look, now, I, now, let me tell you something. I am not, listen, I have to be careful. Because with, 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 power, with, with power and authority comes great responsibility. See, when I say stuff like that, folks start to write me checks and stuff. Do not write me a check. You're not helping my faith walk right now. No, don't do it now. You know, you know. <laughs> if, the, if, the Lord, if the Lord tells you later, you know what I'm saying? No, sis, I have to say that because I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, on a DL trying to, no, 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 no. What I'm telling you is this, I'm trusting the word of God right now. Anybody trusting his word? He says if we, see, many of us have not walked into this, we, you don't know what it means to live in overflow. Me and my wife have been praying, God, we want to minister. We want to, we want to, I want to do something that I'm not getting paid to do. I want to minister to some hurting folk in Cleveland. God, open up a ministry for us that will be international, that will be worldwide. God, I'm not, we're not asking for more clothes. We're not asking for more, but God, take the little money we have. And God says, if you take what you got and start something, then I'll trust you because then I'll just start flowing it through you. I'll just start pouring it in you. But God is not going to pour stuff into folk who are going to spend it on themselves. And just on a note, the bottom is about to fall out. I was talking to Meredith Woods the other day. Is Meredith here today? I think she went down to the prayer conference. Talking to Meredith. Is she here? Meredith? Yeah, Meredith, Meredith told me. She can confirm it. You know, she works in insurance and financial planning. She was talking with some speculators. They said, we have not even seen recession yet. They said, they're lying to you on television. Just to keep you spending. Why do you think the gas is going up when they have more barrels? There's no shortage of, shortage of gas. They drilling all over the planet. But the gas keeps going up to 412. Hear me on this, says the Lord of hosts. The days are coming when men will throw money into the streets. And by then, you're going to start tithing. By then, you're going to start giving offering. But it will be too late. Revelation 13, Wilbur Rudd says that in the last days, the mark of the beast will be determined based on what people do with their money. So those of us who are not faithful, I didn't say consistent, faithful in tithe and offering, you are preparing yourself to receive the mark of the beast. Because it says he will cause them neither to buy nor sell. In other words, the stuff is going to get so tight in the last days that they're going to get to a place where the way that they know they can get people to compromise is with their money. What if somebody came to your house and said, listen, we're going to take your house if you continue to keep the Sabbath. You're going to say, well, Sunday is all right. <laughs> but notice what God says, and this is not to put fear in your heart. See, let me tell you, it's going to get bad, but when you honor God, do you, can I have one witness in here today? I know this ain't a jump and shout sermon, but do you know what I'm talking about? I know. When you honor God. I know. Man, I'm, listen, right now, man, I'm living life like it's golden. I, I can't, listen, we don't have everything we want. We don't have even everything we need. 
but all that I have needed, his hand has provided. Great, great, great is his faithfulness. I'm worried about my tuition. And God says, just to show you how bad I am, I'm going to send you a refund check in the mail. Uh, That's my praise. Forgive me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Get fired up about your God. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. You don't have to rearrange your money. You don't have to compromise with God. No matter if the walls are caving in all around you. No matter if the bill collectors. And let me me just throw this out here. I have supernatural debt. I I got supernatural debt. In other words, my debt's so big that only God can take care of it. Amen. Hey, look. You know what I'm saying? Some of them be like, man, I just bought a home. No, you did not. <laughs> Ain't no homeowners in here unless you done paid your mortgage. I ain't trying to take your, take your praise. You got it. It's all good. But hey, you got 30 years left on it. Supernatural debt. By the way, if any of you guys listen to Dave Ramsey, I highly suggest it. He says the new status symbol in the United States is not the BMW. He says it's the paid-for house. See, the less debt you have, the more you can do for the kingdom of God. But got to, check this out now. When you got so much supernatural, somebody just shout supernatural debt. Supernatural debt. <laughs> any, can, I get a, can I get any witnesses in here today? Yes, yes, yes. Well, the only way you can deal with supernatural debt is in a supernatural way. I'm going to tell you right now, me and my wife got out of debt giving more. We were doing like 10 plus whatever we wanted. Then we went to 10 plus 5. 10 is tithe. 5 is offering. Then we said, God is good. 10 plus 7. And then we went to 10 plus 10. And then somebody told us, you had 10 plus 10. You're doing all you can. And I said, no, we're not. And then we went to 10 plus 1. 10 plus 11, 10 plus 12, we're at 10 plus 13 now, and I think like we, just, we just moved up a little bit high. Look now, that's because I'm growing my giving, because every time God blesses me, see, I know the way to eliminate my bills is to take care of God first. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Somebody's going to call my wife, and they're going to say, hey, listen, we're going to take care of your student loan debt. we got a, a government position for you, where you, and you know, they, they have these things where you can work off your, look, listen, we ain't tripping on that. And they're asking for $1,000 a month for student loans. Oh, the pastor is doing well. He's struggling, but guess what? Test me. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Lord, have mercy. That's what I want. I don't want to be able to know what I got. I want to, I want to have so much that I can't count it. I want to have so much that I can't even describe it. I want to have something. God says, I, can't, I will not give you more life. I will not give you more breath. I will not give you more blessings if you hoard. And then watch this. When he does bless you, he does not bless you just so you can bless yourself exclusively. He says, there will be no, no, no watch this now. Then the Lord said, he said, I will prevent pests from devouring your stuff. And you know, look, man, listen, interpretation for 2011. The stock market eventually is going to go bankrupt. But even though your stuff is in there, God's going to take care of you when he doesn't take care of other folks. 
Because you honor God. And compromisers will not walk in overflow. He can't trust you. Let me, walk, let me just show, show a statement. Matthew 6 tells us. There it is. Read it. 